Welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sébastien Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. On July 10th and 11th, we were in London for the Coin Summit Conference. This two-day event gathered approximately 250 investors, entrepreneurs, and developers to discuss some of the most important issues facing the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem. Today's panel discussion is called The Ever-Changing Landscape of Bitcoin Mining, where moderator Jess San is joined by some of the most prominent figures in the mining industry, Mark Athias of Bitfury, Dave Carlson of Power, Timo Henka of Cointera, and Navid Sharwani of Piranova. The discussion revolves around several key topics. Notably, everyone seems to agree the mining industry should move away from the term mining and start calling it transaction processing, and you'll hear the reasons why. They also discuss the rapid evolution of ASIC processors in the last year, the importance of improving the overall power efficiency of the network, and where ASIC production seems to be heading. They also talk about a highly debated subject, which is the shift from home mining to centralized data centers, and the panel ends with predictions on the total hashing power of the network at the end of this year. So uh, hello again, everyone. Um, we have a much bigger panel now. So uh, I'm joined by uh, some of the uh, uh, most successful and um, hardworking people in the uh, Bitcoin mining world, and we've, um, we've we've come up with a with a few um, interesting questions. But let's start with oh, and we're not going to go round robin. We're going to we're going to be selective. Uh, what is mining, and why is it important for the Bitcoin ecosystem. Anyone want to take a stab at that one? I would say I feel pretty strongly about that one. I, you guys can hear me, okay? Uh, transaction processing is that's mining. Mining is basically just the, the, the processing of transactions into the blockchain. What could be more central to Bitcoin? Everybody who has a, a little bit of Bitcoin here, a startup business, intends to invest. They depend on a miner somewhere in the world to add these transactions to the blockchain. So I see it as the epicenter of this happening that is Bitcoin. Um, and that's, that's what caused me to dive into to Bitcoin mining two years ago. Yeah, mining is uh, certainly the key invention of Bitcoin that allows to, have, to come to a consensus in a distributed computer network. That's the key invention. But uh, well, by the way, by the term mining, we mean at least two things. One is the, uh, related to the blockchain technology, which is the process of uh, creating a new block. And by doing that, clearing transactions that have appeared in the time window since the previous block. And uh, in terms of the currency, it also means the process of creating new currency. And Bitcoin so beautifully links the two things together and creates the incentive to actually build the mining network. So miners get revenue from two sources. They get the block reward for creating new blocks and they also get a transaction fee. So, um, so miners are compensated um, for their computing power. Actually, I, I would say I think if, if we could stop using the word mining and start calling it transaction processing. Yeah, mining is definitely transaction so processing. So I, I think it really would help the investors, it would help the users and it will help the regulators what we're doing because mining gives a very different kind of a 
uh, a mental image as opposed to what we do. I mean, we are not mining. We are trying to uh, process transactions and add legitimate blocks to the blockchain, right? So I th that would be my call to, uh, to the folks would be that let's see if we can invent a better terminology for what we do. So in, in the past, mining was uh, done using uh, software running on CPUs, and eventually that was overtaken by running the software on, on graphics cards. And in the last year or so, it's now been overtaken with uh, ASICs. Does anyone want to give a brief history of uh, the ASIC um, technology? Maybe I can take a shot at it, considering that I have a little bit of a background in ASICs. I think uh, ASICs started somewhere in last March timeframe, where people started designing this uh, uh, in 55 nanometer or 40 nanometer. By 55 nanometer, these are the different technology terms that we use in semiconductor business to explain how advanced the process technology is. And so every few years, you know, technology advances. So, so in last year, in the beginning of the year, people started uh, uh, developing ASICs in 55 nanometer. In a semiconductor business, it takes about two and a half years to go to the next technology node. In Bitcoin world, we went from 40, uh, 55 to 40 to 28 nanometers in less than, I would say, nine Nine months. Well, I or think so. some even did 130 and 110 nanometers. In, so. in between, yes. So, uh, yeah, so, so that is true. So, so point really is that I think the advance of technology in Bitcoin is, <clears throat> excuse me, much faster than in the semiconductor business. So and today the, we are at 28, going to 20 and 16. And the reason for the transition from CPUs to GPUs to ASICs was to become more efficient and lower. Yeah. So power. if you use a CPU, for example you're using probably 3% or 2.5% of the silicon area for doing what you are doing. When you're doing an ASIC, 100% of the area is being used for doing so. So uh, uh, dedicated ASIC is, you know, much, much more efficient in doing so. Yeah, and I think to add to that, I think the result of that is, is actually that the network has become much more secure as a result of using ASICs. Just to give you a sense, already at the beginning of this year, uh, some computations showed that kind of the combined hashing power on the Bitcoin network was the equivalent of the top 500 supercomputers in the world combined. And that is only a result of having those very efficient chips focusing on that. It creates stability and security for the network. Overall. And the competitive nature of the, uh, of the mining network encourages people to keep adding. This is, this, this is all brought on by the, the block rewards. Block rewards subsidizes the growth of the network, and it's designed inherently to promote extremely fast growth because... The faster the network gets very large, the faster it's fully secured. So one of the controversial uh, topics in the altcoin world is um, trying to design proof-of-work algorithms that are ASIC-proof. Do you think that's a good idea? In general, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> because um, if we uh, well, re remember the time when uh, mining happened mainly on GPUs, and uh, one problem that we saw at that time was that malware could take over people's computers. And for example, botnets were controlling a huge amount of mining power, hash power. And that was certainly not good. ASIC has helped that. And another reason, of course, is um, to have a secure network, you, you're afraid that there's some entity that could have a technology advantage. And once we have ASICs on the uh, smallest process node available, we're pretty sure that no ent entity can gain such an advantage. I think if you do, sorry, if you do ASIC resistant, as they call it, uh, 
literally uh, you're moving it off of these specialized ASIC processors onto NVIDIA or AMD or Intel processor, right? So essentially you are still, you know, hostage to something except that now the revenue has moved away from the Bitcoin ecosystem into the semiconductor ecosystem. And that is essentially that has happened. And secondly, I think the network will be less secure because you have to use a lot more of those processors, which are more cap expensive in order to do what we are doing. So, I mean, we can do with one ASIC, which I think would take something like eight, 900 CPUs to do. So, I mean, so I think the way, what, the way we are doing it is we are making the network secure at a much lower cost. Than tremendously, if the ASIC tremendously less wasteful power. And, yeah, and in CapEx. There's yeah. a focus on that. I mean, we want to be more and more power efficient. So that's a, that's a good segue. So um, with Bitcoin mining um, being dominated by the cost of power and the price of Bitcoin, what is the trend? What, what is happening to improve that situation? Yeah, I think just to add to that, I think this is the interesting thing, right? We're seeing this build up, uh, as Dave was saying as well, that the network is growing over and overall. And as the capacity grows, so does the kind of the cost of mining it starts to shift, not just from investing in, um, in the servers and the chips, but actually running um, these large kind of this large infrastructure and the cost that comes with it. I think kind of uh, definitely a bit fear. One of the things that we're really kind of focused on is two things. How can we actually kind of contribute to kind of generating our own uh, kind of electricity over time, kind of continuing to drive the cost down of that? And secondly, how do we make sure that we actually do something kind of use or recycle the energy we're using? So kind of um, um, as we start looking at immersion cooling, how can we recycle some of the energy? And even thinking more creatively, like if are there any uses um, in people's home where they can, might use heating anyway? Kind of, can we come up with creative products there that actually helps both the distributed nature of, of the Bitcoin network, as well as kind of make something useful as from the side product that we're creating with, uh, with uh, the kind of processing, not mining. I agree with you. <laughs> so actually, I would say that uh, finally... Uh, Bitcoin ASICs are attracting the right kind of people into the industry, which is physicists and semiconductor specialists who are saying, wow, we have all these ideas that we wanted to try in the microprocessors, but they never worked because the microprocessors are too complicated. All those wave pipe, so we have, there are many, many techniques in which you can cut down power by an order of 10x, but those ideas never worked in microprocessors and other complex chips, but they are perfect for ASICs, that's what we are doing today. Why? Because these ASICs are very simple pipeline structures that we can apply a lot of these physics-oriented ideas. I think in the next two years, we are going to see a dramatic improvement in these ASICs, not driven by the folks that we have building ASICs today, but these are the physicists and semiconductor professionals who so far we were not able to attract, but now we are attracting. And I, I think in the next uh, a year or so, we will see dramatic improvement in power and CapEx. I actually think that by the end of next year, we should see 0.1 watt per gigahash kind of machines out there. By the end of next year? Yes. Okay. I, I agree with that. I think, but I think that that's where the, 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 the leveling starts to be, to, to be seen in the network growth. I think the network growth can, can simply not be sustained in, the, in this vertical you know, singularity style chart that we see right now in, in, in network growth. But that's okay. Uh, I think ASICs uh, chips allow us to scale the network out and secure it effectively um, and efficiently. And to build on that, like kind of, we know we're in this build-up kind of phase, right? And, and there's going to be a point of kind of equilibrium where actually this is where the real competition between kind of us developing on the ASIC side starts to happen, right? The cost curve uh, is not going to be 
the same for everyone. Um, um, and those that are able to come up with the best chips will be able to basically continue to add capacity to the network um, uh, in a way that's still profitable. While others that are unable to do that, not just on the chip level, but increasingly also the data center operations started to become very important. Um, is going to make a big difference. Um, um, and there's going to be a big shift, I think, between companies that are able to keep at the leading edge um, and those that are kind of falling behind. And the good thing about um, Bitcoin ASICs is that they allow you to use your creativity to innovate and to differentiate as well as the process node. So um, what kind of things are happening in that area? Anyone want to... Uh... So I think uh, uh, although we use the term ASIC, I uh, would use that to mean that the innovation is happening at the ASIC level, at the server level, and at the data center level, right? So when we are building our machines, we build at the data center level. When you are building at the data center level, you are looking at what happens in an aisle. For example, when the aisle is cooled down, there's a thermal gradient from the start of the aisle to the end of the aisle. There's a thermal gradient from the bottom of the aisle to the top of the aisle. So if you apply uniformly the same machine across the aisle, you have a different thermal profile as opposed to different machines, which can be tuned to their location, where are they in the aisle. So this is, I'm just explaining about the several things we're looking at, is that we can tune the machine to its location in the aisle and then reduce the power and optimize the performance, right? So what I want to say is that as we are going forward, we have now operated 10,000 machines, 50,000 machines, now we have to figure out how to uh, run 100,000, 200, 300,000 machines. We have to go to virtualized machines. So I think virtualization software will take very important. We should be able to run entire mine or transaction processing center from a laptop, be able to change the temperature performance of a single ASIC or a core in a single ASIC of an aisle to any particular server in the aisle. So I think software will also become a very important aspect. So, so hardware will uh, start evolving in the data center style and software will start in the virtualized direction. We have that now, the heat optimization. We use post-it notes on the racks to mm -hmm. mark, keep track of the temperature. Always, always the low cost. That's the equivalent of, of what I think is part of the, so, so I spent a lot of my career in the, in the telecoms industry, right? And, and you have these big network operating centers where you can monitor all things in the infrastructure. And I think this is the, the phase that we're now entering with mining as well, where this becomes a very kind of centralized thing with a lot of flexibility, the ability to switch things on and off, to move from one pool to the other, um, um, and kind of, kind of create that kind of flexibility and uh, kind of insurance of operational efficiency. So in the past, um, Bitcoin mining hardware has been um, available for sale to home miners because it's been packaged in, you know, in computer-sized um, boxes. Uh, but there seems to be a trend towards building for the data center. Uh, what happens to the home miner in that situation? I think it's a win for the home miner because previously home miner had to buy a machine and then which only comes in certain sizes, then they have to operate it and it depends on the electricity charge that in this area, right? Now, if you go to a data center uh, concept and to cloud mining, cloud hashing concept, they have no ability to operate their piece of the hardware because of fractional sale at a very low cost. And so I think, I don't think it discourages home miner. I think it fractionalization of these data centers will allow just like how Amazon Web Services has not discouraged people from working on data centers. It has encouraged hundreds of thousands of businesses. I think this cloud mining, cloud hashing kind of concept, which will allow people to have cloud hashing at a very low cost, should encourage people to invest whatever amount of money they have into the transaction processing. 
at the moment, I think the economy of scale just uh, tends to favor data center installations at the moment because they are more uh, cost effective. But uh, so there's, there's certainly ways, despite this fact, to keep the decentralization up um, because uh, it's, uh, for example, possible um, to have uh, 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 to keep the ownership of the chip by cryptographic means in the hands of a home miner and um, have the chip only accept to work on problems that are actually signed by the home miner, for example. In this way, you can have your chip hosted by somebody else and still have full control over uh, yes. what it's hashing on. That is certainly a, a way to combine the concept of a centralized data center and decentralized ownership. So, so kind of to add to that, I think the, the kind of the, there's been a move from great getting the best hardware to officially kind of basically getting not only the best hardware but getting the best data center location, getting the best electricity contract. Um, um, and I think that's that's a progression that's increasingly hard for kind of a home miner to do, right? If you're a rational home miner. So there are two things, like it is indeed kind of a progression towards managed services contracts for large miners, cloud, cloud hashing. Unfortunately, a lot of the cloud hashing contracts nowadays aren't really economically feasible, if you kind of to take the calculations on it. The other thing is like, and, and Dave and I were talking about, it's like there's, a, there's a, an element of perhaps non Rational miners, you know, a lot of people would love to kind of be involved and add to the network, right? So I expect, and something that we're thinking about, can, can we come up with consumer-oriented products in the future that kind of may not necessarily have a great return on it, but be great for people to feel that they're contributing to the overall network? Right? Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a, we're all, the home miners are definitely interested in in being part of the network more than getting a return on their investment. We're finding that. Uh, a step up from the home miner is the small business entrepreneur who wants to get into mining. So part of our focus on, on empowering other miners to start up out there is to, um, is to identify these, these small startups that actually have favorable economics. They may not have the power prices that I pay, uh, but they have maybe a local subsidy from their local municipality. No one has the power price that you pay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are economics out there that actually uh, justify mining where I didn't expect to find them. So we're, we're seeing that, that there is an opportunity for, granted it's not home mining, but it's sort of um, the next level above. It's the small business startup mine that, that has uh, the ability to, to make the numbers work. So this year there's been a lot of innovation and creativity and, and variation among the different ASICs from different um, technology companies, but there's an inevitable harmonization as the innovation and the tricks that can be done to improve performance um, become the same. And then um, the process knows there's a limit to where we can go on that. So what's going to happen in the future? I think in two generations, uh, nine nanometer beyond, I think we should be on Moore's law. So I think till that time, because of the very nature of the SHA-256, we should be able to apply other techniques that were not found useful uh, in the normal microprocessor and the chip design. So, so we have maybe two generations until we hit the Moore's law, but I think those specialized uh, design tricks will be useful in the next two generations. I think the interesting thing as well, if you would actually do a comparison of, of, of ASICs today, there's actually a wide variety of performance measures. So Bitfuel, I think we're very proud that kind of our 55 nanometers is actually at performance doing a lot better than some of our competitors at 28, right? And, and a lot of that has to do 
with kind of having a bespoke approach to, to some of these things. And while kind of a lot of others are using kind of pre-configured components. Um, and I think there is a lot, a lot still to do as a way of kind of driving overall performance. So I think we'll, we'll definitely have a, a long, long range still where we'll see performance improvement that go beyond kind of Moore's law that people know from uh, kind of general GPUs. And there'll be but a little you, bit. You see that happening over next three generations or you see that over... So what I was saying is that I, I see that happening, but I think inevitably in two generations, you will get into the same situation that microprocessor business and others, eventually all the tricks play out and then everybody learns all the tricks. And then basically you come on to the Moore's law and then you go process notes to process notes. Right now there's been a very low take up in the smaller geometry processes and KMC minor is the first one to use 20 nanometer and no one else has announced that yet and, and beyond. Um, the smaller geometries are more expensive, and so there are different trade-offs. Uh, it comes down to the financial incentive. So Bitcoin prices shoot up to 2000 You're going to see people going after smaller nodes. It's going to accelerate that, that, that going after those tricks that Nambi is talking about. So actually, from our point of view, we are already working on a smaller node because we believe that there has to be, our customers are buying equipment from us and investing in us, because, not because we have a machine today, because we have a roadmap. So we have shared a roadmap with them on which there is a 16 nanometer machine and there is a nine nanometer machine. So, so we have to have constantly have funds available and on our roadmap to invest in that. So it's like any other semiconductor company that has to have that kind of a capex. Uh, there are R&D. two ways to achieve low power. I mean, there's the, there's the go jump to the next node, um, which is expensive, but quick, or there's the spend more time optimizing the, the, the full custom um, and and in the end, like the anyone who's going to make an investment decision to kind of invest in mining, right? Kind of, they're not, they're going to look at the total cost of ownership, right? They're not just going to look at what's the price X or Y. So they're going to look at what is actually my price per gigahash, uh, dollar per gigahash and whatever, and, and what I'm going to pay in electricity over a certain period of time, right? So it's trying to optimize uh, across those. That's, multiple that's a great, that's a great prompt. So what is the relative capital cost of buying the hardware versus the operating cost of running it for Say a year. What, what's the what's the balance? Let me give you examples. Today, I think it will cost you around two million dollars to buy one petahash, okay? And it will cost you around one point. I promise you, we can buy it cheaper from this guy over here. Sure, sure, sure. Today, I'm, you I'm, manufacture yourself. Yeah, no, no. I'm just buying. Okay. So I'll talk about manufacturing in a moment. So let's say it's two million dollars. Let's call a number between one point five to two million dollars. I think it covers the range, right? I think I'm covering his range now. So 1.5 to $2 million to buy something. And I think it will cost you approximately 0.8 to $1.2 million to run it for a year. These are the two numbers. So you're talking approximately 50-50 or thereabouts or a little bit more to buy than to run. Sorry. Okay. And Dave, are you, are you seeing the same thing? I think the way, the way I've been looking at it recently, I guess it's easier to talk about right now because it's in the forefront of my mind is, is you know, over the next two years, there's going to be 2.6 million Bitcoin produced. That at current prices, that's almost $2 billion uh, market opportunity to go after. So the question is, is how, how much does it cost to invest to capture a large market share of that $2 billion opportunity? Mm. It's far less than $2 billion. It's, you know, you could invest $100 million and capture a significant share of that $2 billion. So that's kind of how I've been looking at it. So the, the business model of the mining industry has been undergoing massive change lately and customers are no longer happy doing pre-orders. Uh, ASIC companies are no longer happy doing pre-orders because customers arbitrage the price 
of Bitcoin versus their pre-order and cancel and so on. So what's going to happen to the business model of mining? Yeah, I think gone are those days where you could use the pre-order to fund your ASIC development. So I think which, which means that the people who will be left standing are the ones who have either already created those funds from their previous mining operations to invest or they have ability to raise funds uh, to invest. So because uh, if you cannot raise the money through the customers, the only way you have is these two things I mentioned. Yeah, the irony with that is that the home miner that complains about decentralization is actually contributing to the centralization exactly. by not ordering hardware. That's right. Um, so in general, I think the pre-order days are gone, right? But I also think that a lot depends on the Bitcoin economy and especially on the Bitcoin price in general. I think the whole market can turn quite quickly if we see another price rise. Um, because um, that will also make home miners more competitive again. And um, home miners can uh, react more quickly to this. In data center deployment, there's a lot of inertia. If you want to re uh, react to an increase in Bitcoin price by deploying more hardware, you can not do it instantly because we're talking about multi-megawatt installations and they used to take several months at least. Well, yeah. Uh, so I think this is one of the competing things going in the future as well. Yes. I think uh, you'll see some announcement of us shortly of, kind of, uh, of, of new data centers that we're opening. And I think um, increasingly it's not just... Um, competing on designing the ASICs, but also how quickly can you add capacity? Right. And I think that's going to be an increasing um, differentiator, um, again, between miners and, and operators helping them. And the biggest deal, I mean, the last year, um, mining ASIC companies effectively crowdfunded their um, costs, which are in the millions of NREs, by pre-orders or, or large customers, and that's gone. So now... I think we organically grew. We did some initial retail sales, but then we organically grew everything else to this point. But but now we're reaching this point where we're recognizing that if we're going to scale along with the network and try to hold on to our market share, we have to find a way to get out to market quicker. And our way of doing that is to decentralize our industrial mining by teaching others how to do it and then remove the uncertainty of the pre-order problem. By sending them the hardware with, with no upfront costs. So, yeah, very novel. It's, it's a, that it's franchise a approach. approach, very novel. Yeah, and I think like <clears throat> Bitfury is always taking the choice to not do that kind of pre-funding approach. And I think um, um, it's deliberate. I think a lot of companies that have gone that route have actually ended up with significant problems. It's very dangerous. Uh, it is very dangerous, and it's actually bad for the reputation of, of Bitcoin overall. The interesting thing is it does indeed kind of lead to, again, uh, kind of an, an opportunity for separation in the sense that the, the amounts that need to be pre-financed to kind of roll out ever bigger volumes are going to grow, right? So I think uh, um, it's, it's incredibly important for specifically those in the ASIC production to be very well-funded and uh, it's not always easy for everyone to, to get that. Fund. Now that the stakes are so high, um, does that mean there are no new ASIC entrants? Because the only ones that are around now are the ones that either had a previous generation and raised the money or mined some Bitcoins, or that are VC funded, of which there's very few of those. Yeah, I, I think there is a fairly big barrier to entry now, yes. Yeah, there's a number of barriers to entry. There's uh, certainly a lot of uh, capital required and uh, uh, simply creating the IP also takes a while. And, uh, but the IP is actually the, the least expensive part of creating an ASIC, isn't it? Right, but it, it takes time to develop it and to catch up with the uh, existing manufacturers is a barrier to entry. 
I think the other thing is the customer acquisition. I think previously with a crowdfunding model, you can open a website and sell to thousands of customers. That's one thing. Now the customers are more larger customers. Uh, I think one of the deals we announced recently or three, four days ago that somebody, um, uh, one of our customers has bought a nine petahash system from us. Now, developing these relationships is a very expensive venture, right? So for somebody to have just capital to ASIC is not good enough anymore, is to have these relationships with uh, different customers it takes a long time, which is also very expensive, who will buy these multiple petahash systems from you. And you have to have these customers. Why? Because if you're spending five, seven, eight million dollars on ASIC, uh, whole develop, server development, you cannot have, you know, people buying you half a petahash, two petahash, you know, it won't amortize your cost. So that's, I think customer acquisition cost is also very expensive. So let's do one more question before we open it up to the floor. Uh, I want to hear a number from each of you. Today, we're on about 140 petahash on the Bitcoin mining network. What's your prediction for the last day of this year? No, no, 140 was the start at the panel. Let's ask them how much more it has been since started the panel. Since we started this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's start. With, okay, Timo, what's your, what's your prediction for end of the year, last day of the year? So I have no better guess than, than to um, extrapolate the current growth of network, which is 1% daily, and that'll put us at 600 per Naveed, what do you think? I think it's between 350 and 400. Dave? I think it slows down and, and we make more than 300. We make maybe 350, 400. Mark? Yeah, I think it's just fascinating. If you look at the end of last year, if you look at like how much the network kind of multiplied over like a 90-day period, the end of last year was around but 11 times over a 90-day period, right? That's come down this year gradually to every 90 days or so, the kind of the network capacity triples, but it's gradually coming down. So can, some of the scenarios we've done kind of brings us between kind of 500 to 700. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the 700 camp myself. But. Yeah, I'm probably kind of, we, we took a bet. It's always tricky to program. It, it, kind of the point is what other constraints are there, right? It's yeah. not just the Price production, and but it's also, yeah. And it's also like the data center. It's the investment kind of in power infrastructure. And is that incentivized by the current price? I, it, granted, if price goes up next week considerably, there will be investment funds available for, for the capital. But if we were to believe the 700, which means, let's say today is 150, 550 at 1.5 million per petahash, I think which basically we'll have to assume that somewhere in the world there is 780 to 800 million dollars in capex going into going in Bitcoin. plus mm -hmm. that much into oh. the power so Dave, we are talking Dave about 1.2 is going to do that <laughs> so i think it's 1.2 billion dollars so i think there is 1.2 billion dollars i think that's possible i don't think i don't necessarily think there's that much uh, of that required but but i think like just give you a number i think it's going to be over 600 um, um, um but the interesting thing is what are the constraints right is it i think it's increasingly on the data center side rather than the uh, the production great thank you everyone now we can open it uh, up to questions from the floor. Anyone have any questions for our, oh, there we go. Microphone coming your way. This is a little bit more with regards to pool mining, but uh, considering this sort of a strange situation where the closer you approach 51%, the more you are potentially damaging Bitcoin, yet you have a profit incentive to try and capture as much of the mined Bitcoin do you potentially see in the future perhaps some sort of cartel where large mining pools or, or groups come to an agreement to, to 
have a steady percent growth, but sort of stay where they are in terms of percentage or someone's sort of other agreement to sort of avoid this strange sort of economic situation where there's more that you can make, but I think, I think that, that, that will always be in com- competition. So um, there'll be sort of this cooperation where we'll agree to be responsible in the way that we grow. For example, we can decentralize pools out uh, in, in a way that doesn't give one pool operator or one pool entity too much power. But at the end of the day, we're in a battle. <laughs> I mean, to add to that, I think, so sometimes I, I feel that people confusing the issue a little bit because the, the, the no, it's in nobody's interest to get it to 51% as such, right? Everybody knows that. So everybody here has kind of money at stake to make sure the credibility of the network stays intact. So in Bitfury's case, like when we saw one of the pools that we kind of participate in kind of reaching that level, we made the decision to switch some of that capacity elsewhere. And we did that deliberately. And as I know that others have done as well with the aim of kind of protecting the integrity. And that is just... Um, selfish mining. It's kind of uh, optimizing uh, people's interest and, and it works. So, so I think uh, that will continue to happen. Great. Is that it or do we do one more question? Uh, well, it's up to you really. Is there one more urgent question, burning question? Yeah, there's one here, right here. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think in general people are brainwashed about 51% attacks because, you know, it's not about owning uh, capacity or it's not in anybody's interest to, like, like you say, you know, but, you know, um, it's only about having this, this hash power for like one hour. And we have heard here a lot about cloud mining, but cloud mining precisely facilitates that process of acquiring hash power, hash power from somebody in a very short uh, time uh, frame. So, any comments about this? Um, I, I don't know how to synthesize this question. Anyone ever? There'll be. I think there'll be. Kind of. There, there's already at, at this forum, kind of at this panel, right? There's there's enough competition to to kind of keep that going. And I'm also I'm pretty confident there will be solutions to also kind of make a distinction over time. And I, I know there are a lot of people thinking about this too not make um, kind of the, the pool being the determinant of whether or not a 51% attack can take place. So you can even have a split at a data center level of who actually controls uh, uh, which service contributing to which pool, right? Or, or even can use multi-sig approaches for, for some And even uh, um, with cloud hashing, um, the uh, giga hashes could be pointed at different pools, even in the same network. So um, y- you can certainly avoid uh, the 51% problem uh, the cloud hashing itself doesn't contribute to that problem. Um, it's, it's more a way of consolidating hardware into one place to efficiently mine rather than, you know, where, where power is cheap and cooling is efficient and that kind of thing, and then selling the contracts to the end users instead of them owning the box themselves. And when they own the box themselves, it's, it's a physical box. It has to go somewhere. It's quite big. It's, it's noisy. It's, it pumps out heat. I mean, the, the modern mining hardware isn't that great in the home and is actually better suited to the data center. And that being said, I am very hopeful that uh, we have a lot of smart people uh, in Bitcoin world and we will find a technical solution to the 51%. And uh, Pierre Nova has made a public statement that we will fund or partially fund with other people, uh, these developers working on this solution. So 
certainly we will we will find our technical solution and i th- i think we should all hope and i think we a whole bunch of technical people are working on it so and if you were at the talk in the uh, earlier today uh, my previous panel um we said that there's a short term solution which is convincing the guilty parties to behave more responsibly and educating the community to point their mining power uh, in a more decentralized way but long term we'll solve it with a technical solution so i think we'll be fine and i think it's uh, if if regulation comes to mining especially in the us that's that's one of the things i think will be one of the center points uh, that that will be discussed is um, either either to to avoid 51% or 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 if if you can demonstrate that you're responsibly uh, putting up more than that um, that you can demonstrate that and that that's controlled uh, and, ins- and insured by a regulatory agency i'd like to thank our mining panel thank you very much everyone thank, thank you thanks thanks so much for listening to our coverage of coin summit if you enjoyed this episode please support us with your donation it really helps us traveling to conferences and produce high quality content for you you can donate at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips, where we have our tipping addresses and also an option for donation subscriptions. Your support is much appreciated and special thanks to those generous souls who have already donated to the podcast. 